Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you this morning and to be here in this special day. Before I jump into uh, the message that I have for you, I'm just aware that my table actually spins. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hopefully, I won't fall over. Yeah, it's not one of those churches. Anyway, um, so some of you will get that at lunch, right? Uh, before I jump into uh, what I want to share with you today, uh, I just want to uh, meander a little bit with some opening comments, if you would let me do that. Um, you know, it's interesting when Alan was sharing just about um, our time over the last few years, um, we did have some moments together where we were just like scratching our heads, wondering what in the world do we do, and uh, we postured ourselves in a way, recognizing that God was doing something, we weren't exactly sure what. But we did posture ourselves in a way. And then, you know, he talks about that moment that I, I shared with him that I wanted Vital Point to not just survive, but to thrive in this season. And uh, he identifies that as a conversation that was impactful for him. I, partway through the last season that we just came through, um, I, I found myself in a really tough moment, a tough space. It was dark, and I wasn't exactly sure what to do and how to continue to move forward. And I reached out to Alan, and I just said, man, I, I just need to sit with you in the same space. And uh, we got together, and um, I just poured my heart out to him, and he looked me square in the eyes. He's like, this is what Alan does sometimes. It's like drives me crazy, but this is what he does sometimes. He just said, Ron, God's not done with you yet. And I'm like, fine, I'll keep going. You know, it was just one of those moments where I just, I just want to identify the fact that it is so important to have those in your life that can speak truth to you, to speak word of encouragement to you. And uh, Alan's right. We met on a beach in Mexico a number of years ago, and a bunch of pastors were away together and uh, got to know him a little bit there. But it wasn't until a few years later that Alan and I struck a friendship up. And uh, it is so, such a, a deep, meaningful relationship. And I want to say to you, I don't know if you're aware of this. Maybe some of you are. He is truly a man of God and is so aware of what God is doing in his life. And I hope that you continue to pray for him. And I, I'll get text messages from him. Can you call me? I got to share something with you that what God's doing. I'm like, okay, so I'll call him and he'll share what God's doing and uh, it's, or he'll text me every once in a while on a Sunday morning praying for you, uh, brother. I just hope that, you know, what you share today is, you know, what God wants and I'm just like, who are you? Like, just go and preach your own message. Like, come on, <laughs> just stop messing with me. But uh, it, is, it is truly great. This is a, a bit of a full circle moment for me as well. Um, this is pretty wild. I, my first pastoring gig, uh, I started in 1993. Behind the scenes, we call them pastoring gigs, just so you know. Um, I, 1993, I was a youth pastor slash associate at a church in Fergus, Ontario called Bethel Baptist Church. And um, I'm a bit triggered here today, just so you know, just this reality of, oh my goodness, it's su such a full circle thing. But it's also interesting for me because I spent about an hour or so with your elders, your leaders, uh, back in February, we were talking, a bit before the service, back in February, and we were talking about what God was doing at Vital Point, and we were sharing some insight and some perspective on multi-site and what that looks like. So to be here today on Commissioning Sunday is wild. 
Like, it's just so great and so exciting, and uh, it's great to be part of this. Uh, Alan mentioned a little bit about a vital point, so let me just give you a quick snapshot and then uh, jump in to what I want to share with you. Uh, vital point started about eight years ago and uh, 2014, and I had in my head that God was going to create this like big mega thing, and we were going to, I came out of a church that was a fairly large church, and I had in my head that we were going to do that, and God had different plans. You know, sometimes we have our plans, but then God interrupts them, and he changes it and does something different. And about 2017, 2018, God kind of started opening up an idea, a thought about going multi-site, starting uh, another location in Exeter. And I just thought, this is crazy. Only mega churches do this. Not churches of a couple hundred people go and start other churches. Like, this is just ridiculous. And as that was unfolding, we recognized that, yeah, this was something that we needed to do. And and, uh, and then out of that flowed into the last few years, which everything was kind of strange and, and very difficult. And in that season, we decided to buy a building over in Poplar Hill. So we're in Poplar Hill. That's our main location. If you sneeze, you might miss it. Poplar Hill is just that big. Um, and then uh, and in COVID, we were recognizing that God was doing something unique in Clinton, which is just above Exeter. And so we thought, let's just start another one in COVID. So we started another location, and now we have three sites. And uh, we're praying that God would open the door for three more sites by 2027. And uh, that'll give us six. And, and I, I share this with you, not for anything other than helping you understand that uh, there is a, an excitement in a community when you are obedient to the Spirit. That when the Spirit of God is working and moving, there is something powerful that happens in obedience. Uh, when you walk in obedience to what God is doing, it doesn't feel like a risk. Matter of fact, it's more of a risk if you don't do it. Actually, Exeter when we were starting it, I was really hesitant and, I, and I, would, I wasn't sure if it was something that we should do. And I had this impression, this thought, this nudge from God. I didn't hear any audible voice. I just heard just this sense that if we didn't do this, God was gonna give this vision to somebody else. And I don't like losing. So I said, not a chance in the world. We're doing this. So you're not giving this to anybody else. I'm gonna take it, run with it. And, and God has been doing some great things. When we walk in obedience, it doesn't feel like a risk. It's more of a risk not doing it. And I'm so excited to be able to be here today and to share these things with you. I want to talk about Jesus. It's a good thing, right? We're in church. <laughs> Some of you are you still with me. And we're going to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus and what I believe Jesus is doing across Canada right now, what the Spirit is doing across Canada. But I want to focus on Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. If you are um, not familiar with the Bible, there's these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They capture the life of Jesus for us, and they fill in what the life of Jesus was about, what he was focused on in his life. It's such a cool way of seeing Jesus. It gives us different perspectives to fill in the bigger picture. I want to look at the life of Jesus through the, the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, if you have your Bible or an app, uh, you can do that. If you don't, it's okay. It's going to be on the screens in just a second. What I love about the Gospel of Mark, and it's interesting because not a lot of people are drawn to Mark. Like when you're telling someone to read the Bible for the first time, oftentimes people say, go to John. But I really enjoy Mark because it is a fast-paced book. 
It, it moves very quickly. There's a word that you actually see over and over in the Gospel of Mark. It's the word immediately. Like this week, if you were to read through the Mark you know, by Friday, read through it completely and highlight the word immediately, you'll be shocked at how many times you see it. A lot of people believe that it, it moves this quickly because the author, John Mark, had Peter looking over his shoulder, and Peter kind of had these sticky notes of Jesus' life, and he's giving them to John Mark, and they're kind of interacting together. This is what scholars believe was happening in this particular moment. So you have this fast-paced movement. You don't have stories that are filled in with all kinds of detail. It just kind of moves through very quickly, and oh, and Jesus you know, came out of the water and immediately went into the wilderness. It doesn't fill in what happened in the wilderness. It just kind of happens. But the Gospel of Mark speaks so clearly about Jesus' intent. I want to read for you Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Quick little verse. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What happens here is Mark is opening up our imagination what he's doing is he's capturing our imagination and causing us to lean in. I don't want us to miss this. He's trying to create a sense of urgency in this moment by the way he starts. He says, the beginning of the gospel. Beginning speaks of this idea of the sharp edge or the, or the point of something new. If you're familiar with the Bible at all, your mind may have automatically gone to Genesis, where Genesis 1 talks about in the beginning. It's the same idea. It's the same capturing thought, the imagination. It's the beginning of something new. It's the sharp edge. Behold, this whole thing is unfolding in front of us. He says, in the beginning, this thing is unfolding. He calls it the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love this word gospel, and it's been mentioned and said a few times already this morning. We will sometimes define it as the good news, right? We sometimes call it the good news. And what you begin to see here is that he says, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news. Hey, listen, something here is about to happen. It's not, it's not familiar. It's not a dusty approach to religion or relating to God. It's not about good advice. It's actually about this clear understanding of Jesus and who he is and what he came to do. He says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, this is going to be a new way of relating to God. Things are going to be opening up. Things are going to be changing. It's almost as if he's saying, I've planted a seed in the ground, just so you know, and this seed is going to eventually burst through the surface of the, of the field. In the beginning, in the beginning of Jesus Christ. You know, I love the gospel I, I, I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've, I've, I've been a pastor for almost 30 years, but before that, I, I gave my life to, to Jesus at 17 and began serving in the church and leading in the church, and I've committed the vast majority of my life to serving Jesus and the good news and the gospel. But what I love about the gospel in particularly is how, first and foremost, it is about transformation. It is about change. When you think about the power of the gospel, you begin to realize that the gospel is this thing that comes into our lives that moves us from being you know, dead in our sins to new life. The example of the baptisms this morning is people come up out of the water. It's that imagery of the new life. We see that the gospel is taking people from living with no hope to a living hope. It moves people from being broken to being whole. It takes people from being slaves to sin to being free in Jesus Christ. 
What I love about the gospel is that our lives are spinning one way and the gospel pokes a finger in and makes it spin the other way. It changes. It causes us to step back and reflect and see life from a different perspective. What we see here in the beginning is God's doing something new. There's, and in this gospel, in the beginning of the gospel, it's this excitement, it's this vitality, there's life in the midst of it. See, what I think Mark is trying to do for us is cause us to get a glimpse of the heart of God. And the heart of God is doing new things. It's the creativity of bringing new things in front of us. The prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. He says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I love the creativity of scripture, and I don't, I don't know how much you're familiar with scripture, but words are absolutely important because they give a richness to the experience of reading along with the Holy Spirit who reveals these things to us. But I love the description here from Isaiah 43. It says, behold, behold, lean in, pay attention, look, see, search, anticipate that something new is about to, behold, this thing is about to happen. And I love what he says after that, behold, it's going to spring forth. It's going to come into view with energy and clarity and excitement. It's going to create a movement When I think of springing forth, I think of Jesus walking out of the tomb on that third day. Now, I know that for most of us, we probably have this picture of Jesus sauntering out of the grave, you know, I'm back. He's got this kind of swagger about him. But I wonder if it was more of a a springing forth out of the tomb as he stood and breathed in the fresh air. Or maybe Lazarus, this dude named Lazarus that, uh, sorry, he's not a dude, I it's his friend of Jesus, actually. I should say that, not dude. Um, he's a friend of, of, of Jesus. And he dies, and there's this whole moment and this thing with the sisters, and they are, you know, they're mad at Jesus and upset with him. And, and, and so Jesus goes, and he stands in front of the tomb, and he says, hey, Lazarus, come forth. And before you know it, you've got to read it later. It's crazy. He stands at the, at the entrance of the tomb, and sees Jesus says, okay, unwrap him. It's like he springs forth, and everyone goes, didn't see that coming right? They didn't see that coming. See, when you think about this idea of springing forth, it is this something new that is happening. He says, behold, perceive it. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this from a, you know, from a church perspective. You know, for some of us, it's so easy to be captured by the past when you think about it. Like we all know how easy it is to be captured by the past, but being captured by the past for some of us means we stay back there, right? And we, we, we love what happened back there and we often will try to recreate what happened back there and in our attempt to recreate what happened back there, we miss the new thing that he's trying to accomplish and do. And I think sometimes we as the church need a reminder, we need to step forward and say, there is something new happening There's something new, perceive it, look for it, anticipate it, it's coming. See, everything about the gospel speaks of new things and new beginnings. Like what you're doing as a church, what you're doing this morning and commissioning a group of people to go and start this new church in Glencoe called Bethel Southwest, 
What you're doing is absolutely incredible. You are 78 years old. You should not be doing this. You should just kick your feet up and coast into eternity and be fine with it. But after 78 years, you're doing something absolutely remarkable as a church. You're saying, oh no, we're not coasting into eternity. We're going to do a new thing. What you're doing is so incredible. You're commissioning, you're releasing, you're giving, and that takes great leadership and congregational obedience to the Spirit's moving. Now, I want to speak into this for just a few more moments. There's a lot more to go in the service, so I said I'll try to be as short as possible, so we'll be done by at least one. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding, Alan. I'm kidding, okay? Um, Here's the thing that I want you to consider as you're taking this step into this new future. It's not because it's fun. It's not because it's cool. It's not because other churches are doing it. It's not even doing it for the convenience of the Glencoites. That was a lot funnier when I was practicing it earlier this morning. Um, I'm like, oh, they're going to love this. (laughs) You're doing it because the gospel compels us to do it. It is the power of the good news that compels us to reach more people and to impact more towns. This is the passion of Vital Point Church, and I'm hearing it more and more in places like Bethel, that there is a move that is happening right now in Canada that is focusing on small town, rural Canada And what I believe is important for us to hear today, and it's this, and we were praying about it earlier this morning, is that the light of Jesus Christ is not shining as bright as it can in these small towns, and it is our responsibility to go and turn the light up. It's our responsibility. And the success of the, or the impact of Bethel Southwest is not on the size of the gathering but is on seeing people freed from their addictions, families being restored, needs being met in tangible ways. Listen to me, small town, and we're seeing this and experiencing this in Exeter and Clinton, small towns have dark, dark issues and problems. They have issues and problems. There's a darkness in many of these small towns. Our uh, site leader in Exeter, um, he, he is actually my oldest son, he leads Exeter for us. And in the spring, he got this notion, got this idea. We had this freezer and it was full of food. And uh, he thought to himself, well, how do we get rid of this food? We don't know how many needs are out there. And so he decided, just be careful, Nick, don't do this. You gotta think it through before you do it. He, uh, he put a post on the Exeter Facebook page. Hey, anybody need a meal? <laughs> 300 people responded. 300. We were able to meet 40 people's needs with food. 40 people. See, when we begin to understand the reality of the gospel, the gospel is, it, it takes initiative, the gospel is creative, and it compels us to do a new thing. Here's another reason why I think we do this, is because Jesus loves small towns. 
How great is that? Look at verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Galilee is actually an interesting location. Some of the research reveals that it's made up of small villages and towns and it's it's estimated like over 200 small towns and villages in that particular region. And what we gather is Jesus focused the vast majority of his time proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in these areas. Well, he was born in one. Hello. We're getting ready to celebrate it, right? uh, Bethlehem, not Bethel. He wasn't born in Bethel. He was born in Bethlehem. They say that that town was between 300 and 1,000. He grew up in Nazareth, which was about 500 people. Ever hear the phrase, nothing good comes out of Nazareth? Well, that's kind of this idea of he comes from nowhereville right? He's a redneck. See, here's the thing that I I want you to understand, is that even in the midst of the needs in each town that he went to, he would seek the will of the Father and the Spirit's leading. And later on in verse 38, one of the disciples finds him early in the morning and says, hey, Jesus, we've got some more needs in this place. And he goes, no, 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 we're going to the next town to proclaim the gospel. See, I believe there's Two critical pieces to understanding what God is doing right now in Canada, across Canada in small rural settings. I believe that Jesus is walking through small towns again, and he's putting down a path for us to follow. I really do believe this. Two reasons why I believe it. One was a vision and one was a dream. The vision was uh, from our site leader in Exeter, David. God kind of gave him this vision in his time of reading in the morning and he journaled it and and he actually drew a picture of it and it was footprints going through the center of a town. Most towns just have a center strip, right? These small towns. And it, it was these footprints and the vision was living water filling in those footprints. The dream that was given to us is by someone who's in favor of the things that are happening at Vital Point Church. They're not part of us. They're actually from the outside looking in. And he showed up one day at our office and he said, God gave me a dream for Vital Point. And it was that there were empty barns in a rural setting and one particular barn that was filled with multiple rooms and the people in the rooms were of different stripes and different colors and different backgrounds and different beliefs. And they were all in these rooms and they were finding hope and healing in Jesus. This was the reality of what we've been seeing and understanding. And by God's grace, we've actually been seeing this happen. I want to introduce you to Andrew. I think we have a picture of Andrew. There he is. I thought I was going to have to do clap thing, you know. Um, Everyone over 50 knows I'm talking about. Um, This is Andrew, okay? So Andrew started attending Exeter, Vital Point Exeter, and I, I believe it was May. He was coming for about a month. He was, his, his drummer from his band is named Wes. Wes started coming to Vital Point about a year ago, and uh, Wes is in our band as a drummer, and he invited Andrew to come to church in May. And so Andrew started coming. He's kind of caught off guard by what was happening, and he came at the end of June this past year to watch Wes be baptized. And, and uh, he was just there to celebrate and to cheer Wes on. We had um, uh, 17 baptisms that morning on the field out in Poplar Hill. And uh, we got like a water trough thing, and it's great. And in that service, I gave an invitation for those who would want to trust in Jesus Christ and give their lives to him. Andrew's sitting with his 
non-believing girlfriend, and he says, I think this is me. I think I have to do this. And she goes, well, then do it. Andrew shot to his feet, went and got a t-shirt with our logo on it. On the back, it says hashtag all in. Some people think it's hashtag Allen, but it's hashtag all in. <laughs> we got to work on our marketing. Um, so legit, this guy and four others, four others were actually going through uh, baptism for different purposes. But anyway, Andrew comes forward and I had like baptismal class in 30 seconds in front of 400 people. <laughs> It's like, is it true? Yes. It, do you want to do this? Yes. You want to get back? Yes. Okay, let's do this. Just don't tell my Baptist friends I didn't take them through the class, right? So, so Andrew gets baptized right there in that moment. I got a picture of him as well coming up out of the water. I just love that picture. I know Andrew just a little bit. Guy on the right's Dave. He leads the site there, and Andrew's part of his site, and he's in our band now, and he's being discipled. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there's seven million people that live in small town Canada. About 37 million people, approximately, in Canada. That means just under 19% of Canadians live in small towns. Churches are closing their doors. Buildings are being sold to developers. Townships are literally waiting for our buildings to close so that they can buy them and put their office spaces in them. People who want to consider faith and consider searching and seeking, exploring faith in a church community have to leave these small towns and go to more populated areas. And here's what I see happening. Churches like Bethel, churches like Vital Point are saying, not on our watch. Not on our watch. See, what we hope and pray is that we will continue to focus on small towns to bring the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Imagine with me what it would look like if vibrant gospel-focused churches would commit to starting new sites and new locations and new churches in these towns. Imagine what it would look like if we only met just a fraction of those people and introduced them to Jesus Christ. Maybe, just maybe, we'd have hundreds of people going through water and baptism. Hundreds. Because we believe that the Spirit of God is moving across Canada right now and bringing new life. I gotta finish, I'm gonna skip down a couple sections. And Here's my final word to you as you commission this group of people. I want you to know that the Father, our Heavenly Father, wants this more than we do. You think we want this? And this fire inside of us, like, yeah, but the Father wants it even more. Because he wants to throw more parties in heaven. Luke 15, briefly, three things are lost, three things are found. Each scenario tells a story of a party. And then it says, there's a party in heaven when one returns. May you as Bethel not stop here. May you see and know. May, I wrote it down this way. May you see it, perceive it, behold it. It springs forth. And just as he invited the disciples to follow him, he's inviting us to follow him again. 
May you know his hand. May you know his favor as you walk in obedience and bold dependence upon him as you walk this path. Nick and Emily, hopefully you're paying attention. You're not on your phone, are you, Nick? Okay, I'm kidding. Nick and Emily, listen to me for just a moment, okay? This is gonna be the hardest thing you ever do. But it's gonna bring you the greatest joy that you could ever imagine, okay? And when you're exhausted and tired and wondering, why in the world did we do this? I want you to remember Jesus is inviting you to this. And what I want you to be aware of is that in church planting, and I know you're very familiar with it enough, but in church planting, what often happens is we hold so tightly because we think it's ours. It's not yours. Hold it with an open hand. Hold it with an open hand to the point where you allow the Spirit to move because when you hold too tightly, you're dependent upon your own strength, not on the strength of the Spirit. The temptation is to hold tight. Trust me, I know it all too well. Release and let it go. Jesus loves small towns, and he's doing a new thing. I want to say thank you so much for allowing me to be here. Alan, the invitation. My friend, thank you. And may God bless you as a church as you continue to seek and follow in obedience. Thanks for having me.